You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, welcome back, my friends, to another episode of The Way Home Podcast. Uh, I know you're going to like to hear from my next guest. Uh, His name is Dane Ortland. And Dane is a publisher at Crossway Publishers. He's also a pastor in the Chicago area. I wanted to have him on because he has a new book out that I have read that is spectacular and perhaps, I think, one of the best books of the year. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's become somewhat of a bestseller, and I'm grateful to see that. What Dane does is he kind of is a a sort of guide to some of the Puritans and how they saw the heart of Christ. It's interesting to me, in our churches and just growing up in uh, evangelicalism, I don't know if it's me or if I just missed the kind of emphasis that the Puritans often had on the heart of Christ, that we often focus on what he's done for us. We focus rightly, I think, on the the righteous uh, wrath of God for sinners and God's sense of justice. Dane helps us focus on the heart of Christ. Who is Jesus? Who is God? And how does he feel about sinners and sufferers? This book will be a balm to your soul, and I want to encourage you to read it. We'll have a link in the show notes. This is part of some conversations we're having about the way we see ourselves and the way we interact online and the way we use our words as part of a season in the midst of the launching of my book, Away With Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. This book is available. You can go to my website, awaywithwordsbook.com, and find out links to all the retailers. I'd love for you to pick up a copy for that. But first, let's sit down and listen in to this conversation with Dane Ortland. Well, I'm glad to have Dane Ortland. Uh, on the podcast. Dane, thanks for joining me here on the way home. Great to do it, Dan. Thank you. So I have had Ortland's on this podcast, but never, never Dane Ortland. I've had your dad on in the studio a few times. So I guess the best way for us to start before we talk about your really good book is, can you tell us which Ortland you are and where you fit in the kind of Ortland constellation? (laughs) Well, according to my brother, Gavin, Eric's the one with the brains, uh, I'm the one with the athletic ability, and Gavin's the one with the good looks. So ah. <laughs> uh, that, that's how Gav breaks it down. And there's a sister in there, my sister Krista as well. Uh, I'm number three of the four. So my older brother, Eric, he's over in London teaching Old Testament at Oak Hill. My sister Krista lives here in town in Wheaton. I'm in Wheaton here at Crossway, of course, and then Gavin's out pastoring in California. Yeah. I, I recommended on Twitter about a month ago, it's either when your book came out or when Gavin's book came out, that someone needs to start an Ortland book club. I would totally <laughs> sign up for it. A subscription fee, maybe 10 bucks a month, and you just get the a new Ortland book every month. Have you thought of that? That could be a really real moneymaker. I think you could probably have a Gavin Ortland book club. I think he's just done his fourth book in a year or something like that. Uh, I, I I think he writes more than I read. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, really, really grateful for my family. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I want to talk about your book. You know, it seems like it's done uh, fairly well here. And 
uh, before we, you know, get into the meat of it, uh, what had been kind of working on your heart and mind to, uh, to write this book? I read a little Puritan paperback that Banner of Truth publishes. Uh, this was by Thomas Goodwin, one of the, I guess, lesser known Puritans, maybe though he shouldn't be, called The Heart of Christ, the fuller title, The Heart of Christ, Who is in Heaven for Sinners Who Are on Earth. The burden of the book, Dan, is to say, hey, um, you think that Jesus is, because he's way up high now, that his heart is somehow a bit cooled off towards you versus the way it was beating affectionately for his own disciples on earth. And he, he's trying to disabuse us of that. That book, uh, 2013, I think I read that, Dan, really was a, a bombshell for me. I still have not picked myself up off the ground after reading that. And it put in place something for me I should have known but which we do not talk about today the way the Puritans did. We don't say much about it in our books and preaching and blogs and conferences, but which is in the Bible. And so I took uh, Goodwin in one hand and a few other Puritans, Sibs and Bunyan and Owen, and uh, the scripture in the other hand and said, how do we bring these things together and build a bridge into human hearts, actual fallen, messy Christian hearts uh, and try to pass on what I've been given by those guys. Yeah. I love this. And there's so many directions I could go. I mean, first the book title is gentle and lowly, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. You're going to want to get this book. A couple of things. One, when we think of Jesus, you know, I feel like I I did a book called uh, the original Jesus where I did like all the American characters of Jesus. Cause I feel like, I feel like Jesus is still very popular the Jesus we like, we imagine him to be instead of like the Jesus yeah. who is. But I feel like when it comes to the character of Jesus, there's there's one of two caricatures. There's mm-hmm. the uber masculine, you know, right. John Wayne, William Wallace guy who's just like turning over money changers in the temple and is mad all the time on the one hand. And on the other hand, there's this kind of like very weak kind of, you know, hippie wearing Birkenstocks, you know, sort of guy. And it feels like we don't have a full picture of who Jesus really was. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of oversimplifying those things, but it seems like those are one of two places people go with Jesus. Is that, is that not true? I totally agree, Dan. He, he's, he's a multidimensional Christ, not a one-dimensional Christ. He's a full Christ, not a partial Christ. Actually, I think both of those caricatures about the, the the macho Jesus and the effeminate Jesus are both a shell of two different actually healthy things in him. There's a there's the Revelation 1 Christ whose feet are like burnished bronze, his face is like the sun, he has mm. a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's the risen and exalted Christ. And there and that needs a book too. And there's a a Jesus who shows up and in the one place where he says, here's who my deepest core is. That's what heart means in the Bible. Doesn't just mean affections in a peripheral way. Um, he says, I am gentle and lowly. That's not mushy and frothy. It's gentle and lowly. And I do think, as you say, we tend to create Christ, we create God as well, in our own image. We project onto him the way we think he must be based on how we are in our fallen yes. ways. Yes. And we don't realize we're doing it unwittingly. We don't even realize we're doing that. And uh, what we need to do is push equally hard in both directions. The Revelation 1, not a balance like split the difference, 
push hard in the Revelation 1 Christ, the Revelation 7, the wrath, and in the gentle and lowly in heart Christ. But what I wanted to say here is nowhere in the Bible are we told that Christ is wrathful in heart. When he opens up his heart and lets us peer down into the core of what gets him out of bed in the morning, letting him set the terms, his own astonishing claim is gentle and lowly. You know, if 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 you were to say, describe Jesus to the average Christian, I don't think they'd answer gentle and lowly, uh, which is really sad and profound. And again, I, you know, we'll say the Jesus I know uh, wouldn't do this or would do this. And it's like, well, there's only one. There's not the one that we make him to be. I want to talk, push against both those characters for a, for a second, a little bit more. And then I want to uh, talk about the implications of this because I have some thoughts about that. But, you know, I find a lot of people will justify their nastiness because of the one episode of Jesus being angry in the temple. And it's like the go-to thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of harmful in, in the sense that what Jesus was doing, yes, he was showing righteous indignation, but he also had a specific messianic purpose that is not ours, right? Yes. So like we just fall back on that. So can you kind of deconstruct that a little bit? Well, he showed up and he said, John 2, he was the temple. Of course, the whole New Testament teaching is, is showing us that he was, God was with his people in the Garden of Eden. They get kicked out. God comes, he has a portable temple called a tabernacle for a bunch of the Old Testament, then the real temple, and then that gets destroyed, then another temple. And, um, and Jesus shows up and he says, I am that to which that building was pointing. So I totally agree. One of the things he was doing in that episode that you're referencing where he gets angry is he's saying, um, I, I, am, I am the one to whom this building is pointing and for whom it's anticipating preparing. But also the reason he gets so angry is because he says, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. When people appeal to that episode to justify their own anger, it's not because they, they want people praying more, it's because they want to be just vindicated in their argument. So follow the text all the way along. Yeah, someone cut him off in traffic, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's not the same thing. Um, yeah, I'm glad you talked about that. So the implications of a Jesus who is gentle and lowly, let's talk about that. First, it would seem to impact the way we think about our relationship with Christ. I think, Dane, that a lot of us, this is a really lame way to say it. I see people tweeting this, but it's the only way I'm, I can think of to describe it. <laughs> that I think we think Jesus loves us, but he might not like us very much. Like, why is it hard for us to understand that Jesus's heart is for, uh, for mm. sinners and, and especially for those for whom he died? Like, why do we have a hard time seeing that? Uh, because we're sinners. We, we deeply resist it. We deeply resist it. We cannot imagine uh, a Savior who is so unlike us. I mean, one of the things I'm trying to say throughout the book is we create him in our image. We expect him to love like us in the same way, only a little better. And one reason I think, Dan, we res- resist it is that's not how we treat other people. We don't, we, we aren't drawn out to them in their anguish all the more the way Christ is to us. But uh, uh, we are Christ's own body. What does that mean? When we are in our anguish and our sin and our suffering, for us to come to Jesus Christ and to draw on the riches, to make withdrawals from the fund, <laughs> to put it crassly, of his atoning work, that, according to the Puritans, Jesus is comforted. Jesus is himself consoled 
when we do that because his own body is getting healed. This is this is not a Jesus who is just a little bit better than the one we've all been trying to be yoked to and a disciple of. It's it's leaving behind the junior varsity Jesus and replacing it with the full industrial strength, Jesus Christ of the Gospels, who actually, this is what the Puritans convinced me was in the Bible, in our pain and anguish and even sinfulness, Christ's heart is not, not only is he not put off by that, and not only does he continue to love us 100%, actually, in some ways, he's drawn out to us all the more. That is an astonishing thing. And actually, you can enjoy being a disciple of Christ if he's like that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, Dane, is that, you know, I've been a Christian all my life, was saved as a, as a young child, been going to church my whole life. Love, I, I, you know, I just love gathering with our people. I love mm. church life. Mm. But it's interesting. Last year, you know, I turned 41. So there's kind of that midlife stuff that happens. I mean, it wasn't crazy. I didn't go out and buy a a Corvette or anything, but you know, you kind of have that, okay, who am I? Where does God want me to be? Right. And the, the reality, I think sunk in, in a deep way that you can rest in the fact that God loves us and our identity is in him, like, like our security, knowing that he loves us. And it seems like it keeps us from the kind of performance treadmill. We have to measure up. We have to be this. We have to be that. We have to, you know, even like on social media, we have to project a version of, of a person we think will be affirmed by our tribe and all that. Uh, that to me seems like a really important implication of understanding what you're trying to say. Amen and hallelujah. I mean, God, Edward says, God made us so that he could love us. So the purpose of my existence, the reason I'm sitting on this beautiful summer day in Wheaton, Illinois, talking to you, is it's one more little dot in the mosaic of God having made me and you so that he could pour. He's an infinite fountain of benevolence, Edward said, so he could pour out his love on us. Uh, I, I think what you've just said is so profound, Dan, that we go through our lives and we, just like taking a, a drag of nicotine, we are looking for anything to calm down the inner RPMs. Maybe if I can get so many Twitter followers, maybe if I can get published by that, maybe if I can get noticed mm. by that person, maybe if I can befriend that person, maybe if I make this much money, uh, maybe if I have this kind of conquest in life. And actually, we're looking for something that if you're in Christ, you already have. And you're going out of the love of Christ, the love of God that's already yours, trying to find it in one of the fraudulent offers of the world. And uh, it, it is a deeply, deeply calming thing to know I am basking in the flood of the heart of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And I can't do anything to diminish or impede that flood. Mm, that's such a good word. I read a book last year. Uh, by Kurt Thompson called the soul of shame. And one of the things he talks in there is about the most important thing is just to, to be known mm. by, to know God and to mm. be known by God. Mm. And if you're, mm. if you know God and you're known by God, then really that's all that matters in, in terms of framing your, your security. So I want to pivot a little bit to the implications of this. If, if Jesus is gentle and lowly and we are following Jesus as a disciple it would imply that we should be gentle and lowly. And I'm struck by when 
when Paul gives Timothy all of the qualifications for spiritual leadership and every single one, every single one, he mentions gentleness in some form and sometimes repeats himself, be gentle, don't be a brawler, all that. And yet when we evaluate church leaders, like, yeah. I don't know that we look at those things. It's wow. kind of like, yeah, 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 that's cool. That's, that'd be nice. But wow. T- t- talk to me about that. Ordination exam number one, are you a gentle man? Uh, and if you can't pass um, pastoral shepherding leadership 101 of gentleness, why talk about anything else? So I strongly agree. I was just reading First Timothy today and noticed that very thing, brother. He, he's giving these uh, traits of a godly man for leadership in the church. And in all of them, he's telling what you should be. But then in one, he says, and what you shouldn't be, but in the only one where he gives a contrast, not violent, but gentle. He could have just said not violent, but it's like he wants to accent this. And it's all through, of course, it's part of the fruit of the spirit. In fact, zeal, the opposite of gentleness in some ways, Zalos, that's part of the weeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. Um, Edwards talked a lot about how our zeal feels so right, but it is often simply cloaked self-righteousness and pride. Uh, gentleness can't be proud. If I, Dan, if I interact with you gently, the subtext of that is I am not superior to you. I'm communicating. I, I, I'm, I'm open. Uh, there's a certain, I, I'm on level with you. I, I'm, I want to deal with you in a tender way. And there's, it just communicates so much health and it's like oil on the gears relationally. And that is how Christ interacts with us. And I suspect, don't you, we greatly underestimate the power of gentleness as the aroma with which we go about our lives and leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, it's so interesting because even when Paul, in his pastoral epistles, he's urging Timothy, the young man, yeah. seems timid, we don't know, yeah. to be strong, right. to stand up for truth, yeah. to take on heretics, yeah. to fight in defense of the faith, which most of us under- know those passages. Those are very important. But he's also telling him to be gentle, to be gentle. Yeah. Yeah. And to be humble, to be open-handed when, when you are in the midst of confronting someone about false teaching, which there is false teaching, we yeah. need discernment, be gentle. It seems like we either pick one or the other. Yeah. You're yeah. going to be the gentle guy who is just passe about doctrine, or you're going to be the fighter who's right. just a jerk. So, right. yeah, you know, and yet in Galatians, Paul is both in Galatians two, he publicly upbraids Peter mm. and three chapters later, the same guy is saying <laughs> gentleness, love, joy, peace. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing in first Timothy, right at the end. Again, this morning, reading through this letter, I noticed this, just what you're saying, Dan, verse 20, first Timothy six twenty. Timothy guard the deposit entrusted to you, guard it, fight in battle, be dig in your heels. You're in the trenches, guard it. Okay. Next sentence, avoid the irreverent babbling contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. So don't get caught up in the word wars, he calls it earlier in that chapter. All through yeah. 2 Timothy, don't lock horns orally. That is something young men tend to do because uh, they love the arguing and the winning and the self-vindication that comes with that. Guard the deposit, 
but do it gently. And, you know, Schaefer would say, Francis Schaefer would say, you can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. He would say, you can be like Galatians 2 in the power of the flesh, or you can be soft and gentle and like Galatians 5 in the power of the flesh, but you can only be both together, a strong backbone and gentle and uh, embracing together in the power of the spirit. That's the kind of man I want to be. Yeah, that's so, that's, that is so good. And I, you know, I think when we think about the way we talk about these things online, yeah. you know, cause that's where a lot of our discussions are happening, taking right. place. <laughs> There's not a lot of gentleness and lowliness in, yeah. in our online polemics. I yeah. actually don't think having discussions about these things online is bad necessarily. I think there can be fruitful, you know, discussions, you know, polemics back and forth, even, you know, critical of the other position and still maintain this gentleness and loneliness. But it doesn't say like we model that. It seems like, why is that? I mean, obviously we're fighting in the flesh, but why is it that we feel like we have to be so nasty and so, so mean to each other? Is that we're removed a little bit from the humanity of the person we're interacting with? What, I, what do you think? I do, I do not really know, brother. I'm wondering the same thing. And yet I see the same uh, weakness in myself. It must be that we're just so strongly drawn to a theology of glory instead of the theology of the cross or something. We, um, we feel very deeply in our hearts that in order for, we have, we have r- true godly longings for the kingdom to go for, for the gospel to spread, for our lives to have mattered, to have f- fruitful lives of ministry and leadership. We want that. That's great. God gave us that. But that's the what. In the how, we tend to, it gets infected by fleshliness and worldliness. And we tend to feel like we must go about correcting people and justifying ourselves. And it's, it's the flesh coming in the back door. And what I notice when I see someone, and it isn't often, but when you see someone in Christian Twitter universe and so on Facebook, they are, they are strikingly, sincerely gentle. And it's not out of a lack of conviction. That is arresting. It is attracting. It's wooing. That's someone I want to listen to their convictions about. When someone is berating, I am immediately, I I just got to click forward to the next thing. I, I don't, I'm put off by that. So there's something we don't, when we see it, we see, wow, that's so attractive. But we need to turn around a, a mirror on ourselves and say, am I, like that. And uh, I need to get in step with the spirit and in step with Matthew eleven twenty nine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and I even think of Peter who was no stranger to impulsivity and yeah. polemics. Nevertheless, yeah. in first Peter saying essentially to the first century church who, who was facing persecution, make sure that you know, the pushback you're receiving is because you're actually being persecuted, not because you're being a jerk. That, that's yes. my rough translation yes. of it. Yeah. Um, he's interesting. He says, have an answer for every man for the hope that lies within you, but do it with gentleness and kindness. And Excellent. we have this idea that civility and uh, courage don't go together, but it seems like the Bible says they do. Right. Yeah. And, and that Paul and Peter and Jesus are, are they not saying it's not only important that you're standing up for the truth, but that you're doing it with a distinctly Christian tone and way, 
right? Yeah, I think that's great, Dan. I mean, and it cuts both ways, doesn't it? As you were just alluding. I mean, on the one hand, um, we want to say something and say it gently. On the other hand, we, some others of us, the temptation isn't to be embattled and obnoxious in how we communicate. The temptation is to say nothing because mm. we are a people pleaser and I'm just going to withdraw and let others um, have the conversations and fight the battles. And I, you know, I, I'm just going to be gentle, silent me. Well, that's actually just as fleshly. <laughs> it's just as gospel vacuous. Uh, so some of us need to continue talking, but have our speech seasoned with gentleness. Others of us need to start talking. Uh, we both need to grow in that way. That's really good. Well, listen, this is a fantastic book. I, I want to encourage people to get it. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. available from Crossway. And uh, we'll have links in the show notes. And I think it's a it's a book I need in terms of shaping the way that I think about Christ and his love for me, but also the way that he wants us to, to love others. So thank you for writing this book and for your work and your scholarship and, and service uh, for the kingdom. Dan Darling, thank you for all you do. You are such a good guy. So thankful for you. Whatever you're drinking in the morning, keep drinking it. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Uh, really fun to talk to you today, brother. Well, thank you, sir. And you stay well. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash danielmdarling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters. Mm-hmm.